This episode is brought to you by Recession Proof Your Life, my newest mighty mini course replete with my best tips and implementable tools to build a financial life that is recession proof. Check it out at yaeltrush.com forward slash recession proof. That's yaeltrush.com forward slash recession proof. Hey guys, this is Yael. Welcome to Jewish Money Matters. Welcome to another mini-sode. I want to give you a boost of inspiration, of confidence, of trust, of momentum. I want to be with you multiple times a week. So here we go. I hope you enjoy this mini-sode. You're listening to Jewish Money Matters, the podcast where Jewish wisdom and spirituality meet your money and your business. Money is a means to serve God in this world with joy, to build a life that leaves an imprint way beyond our time in this world. I want you to discover the secrets to Jewish wealth, to gain practical and spiritual tools to break free from the shackles of financial worry, to design the joyful, rich life that your soul desires. Welcome to Jewish Money Matters. I'm Yael Trush, and I'm so glad you're here. We're going to be talking about the idea of talking to God about money during Rosh Hashanah, which seems kind of contradictory. And what exactly is going on? In fact, why don't we start with let me just start like this. We had, I don't know who read already, who heard the podcast this week with Rabbi Simon Jacobson, but in it, we talked about, if you heard it, leave it, tell me on the chat. Um, I would love to know because there we were talking about the idea that on Rosh Hashanah, between, between on Rosh Hashanah, between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, we're going to get our our, um, our blessings for the year are going to be decided, right? We know that's what happens during this period. And that, and we prepare for that. And we know that's what's going on. So on the one hand, we have that. And on the other hand, we have this idea also from the Talmud that says that every day we're being judged. And based on that judgment, we get our blessings. So which one is it? Are we being judged now or are we, we're being judged for our blessings daily, right? And we know every day we pray. And when we pray, we ask for our material needs. And we got into a whole discussion in the podcast of how does that work? Is it really a contradiction? How do we explain that? And you could go and listen to the explanation, but basically they're both true, right? It's just a matter of how we're getting that blessing, right? We're getting the blessing um, on a more general way on Rosh Hashanah. And then we have to bring it down very specifically during the year. Or we could say, like Rabbi Simon Jacobson said on the show, that we um, that it's kind of like you get the package delivered, but you have to bring it in, right? You have to bring it into the house. And that's where our actions, our behavior, our prayers, everything that we do throughout the year, right? De- um, that's where they come into play, bringing in, bringing those blessings into a very tangible form into our daily lives. So that's that's just to get us in the mood of understanding that, you know, this idea of prayer gives us a lot to think about. There might be some contradictions and then we know, we understand now how to resolve them, right? That yes, we have this, we have, we're, we have God who's bestowing blessings upon us, but then there's, there's some things that we do also as well, right? And as we've said many times here in the group and on the podcast and on my emails and everywhere else, right? We put our effort, right? We put our trust in God. And at the same time, trusting in God means that we also have to be engaged and involved in bringing down those blessings. So that's on the one hand. On the other hand, let's dive in a little bit deeper on this idea of Rosh Hashanah itself, which is exactly what we're coming to. And what is the day of Rosh Hashanah? Uh, I want somebody to tell me in the chat. Maybe Sonia, you want to tell me? Let me see here. It's here. 
what is the day of Rosh Hashanah? And right, what are we doing exactly in Rosh Hashanah? So we all know it's the day of judgment. It's also the day that we're coming in front of the king, that we're crowning the king. That is the day, right? This is the importance of the day that we're actually, it's a coronation of the king. We're saying this is the day. This is our king who creates the world, right? We're, 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 we're declaring his sovereignty and we're declaring that we are his servants, right? So it's all about the king. Rosh Hashanah is about Hashem. It's about the king, right? And it's the day that we will pass in front of the king and the king will judge us and he will decide who is going to get what this coming year, right? Who is going to get to live? God forbid the opposite. Who is going to get tranquility? Who is going to get parnasa, parnasa, livelihood, right? Who is all of our needs are being decided on this day because we're in front of the king and the king has the power to decide these things. So during the year, like I said before, we actually talk to the king about these things, right? I just mentioned that we 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 mentioned in, in, in the podcast that we pray. In fact, I think it's 12 out of 19 blessings that we have in the Amidah, right? That deal with our physical needs, right? And it's not like we were saying on the show this week, if if there was one that was more priority than the other, then we would have that as an instruction, but it's not. They're all equal. Like we ask for everything. We ask for health and we ask for wealth and we ask for the time to enjoy it kind of thing, right? It's not like, oh, well, we shouldn't ask for wealth because then it's, you know, then I might not get the health, right? So that idea we have to throw out the window. And I think we discussed that a couple of weeks ago when we talked about Rebbe Hanina Bendosa and we've discussed it now on the podcast extensively. But if anybody has doubts on that, we can come back to it. But basically, during the year, yes, we're standing in front of the king and we're asking him for these material things because in a way, that's his job, right? Now he's in governance. Now he's ruling. So, of course, we're going to ask, right? Um, but during the, the, the contradiction here is that when we're coming to Rosh Hashanah, which is the coronation time, can you imagine like, oh, do you come to the coronation and you're, you're going to ask like, are you actually going to ask for these things? No, it's all about the king. You're not going to be talking to the king, asking for petty material things. If it's a time that you're crowning the king, right? It, it's a time where one would think, and the spirit of the day is really one of all, one of nullification. In Hebrew, the term is bitul, like, right? We're nullified in front of the king. In fact, we could even say it's not only on Rosh Hashanah. In fact, every day we put our day, we put ourselves in that mind frame, in, in that frame of mind to understand that we are in front of the king. We say before we even start, when I answer what we say, we say, Hashem, please open my lips, right? On the one hand, open my lips because I depend on you even for that, right? That's on the one hand. And on, and, and on another level, right? It's I'm so consumed by, by your majesty. I'm so consumed. I, 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 can't even, I can't even speak, which is exactly how it should be, right? If you're in front of the king, you, you, you're so nullified. You're so, you're so, you're not, you're, you're beyond yourself, right? You're just, it's just all about the king, right? And so that's what we have on Rosh Hashanah. And yet we see very clearly that we come to Rosh Hashanah. And like I said before, we're asking for our material needs, right? We're, we're asking to be given these things. We look at the liturgy of Rosh Hashanah and it's actually the day we're, we're being judged, not for what we're going to get in the next world. 
it's really all about this world. It's all about what is going to happen in the here and now, right? So we have this contradiction. How can we be praying for our needs on the day that we are actually crowning the king, right? So I hope that is clear up till now, okay? Um, Let's leave that for a second and let's go into, okay? And we're going to come back to this contradiction and this idea. We're going to try to resolve it. That's hopefully the goal here, okay? But let's go back. Let's go now to, like I told you via email, those of you who are in my newsletter, to one of the things that we're going to read on Rosh Hashanah. Yes, we just mentioned the liturgy of Rosh Hashanah, but also on Rosh Hashanah, we're going to be reading the story of a woman named Hannah. This is going to happen on the first day of Rosh Hashanah, right? We show up and show we're crowning the king and the half Torah is all about Hannah. And it really, this story, and I'm basing this, by the way, on a sicha, a talk given by the Lubavitcher Rebbe, um, where he's going to go through these contradictions. And I'm going to obviously summarize and make it very short. Like I said, I just want this to be like a short powwow to get us in the right frame of mind. Um, but we look at that story of Hannah and the Rebbe says, that's, it's important to unravel why that story is there. What are we learning from Hannah here specifically on Rosh Hashanah? Okay, so who was Hannah? For those of you who maybe are not familiar with the story. So Hannah was a woman. She was one of the prophetess of Israel, but she was married to a man, Elkanah, and she had been barren for 19 years. Now, it's important to note here that according to nature, she couldn't have children. Like the, 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 the language is very clear. It was actually like she she was barren. Okay. And at this point, after 19 years of childlessness, she was so pained and so broken by this, this predicament that she went to the Mishkan, to the tabernacle in this one occasion, which was now in it's a tab- this is the precursor to the base Amikdash, to the temple. Okay. So she went to the Mishkan in Shiloh. And she prayed, but she prayed, she really, really prayed. She prayed really fervently for a son. And I should add here, it's very important to note in this story, and I promise you this is all going to wrap up back into the money conversation, okay? So this is just a detour that we're taking just to get back to the point, okay? So she asks for a son, and not just any son, but a perfectly righteous son, right? It like... And, and, and we're going we're gonna to talk about it in a second, but like, that's what she asks for. And she goes so far as to say that she's making a deal with God. It's kind of like, yeah, if you give me a perfectly righteous son, I will make sure that his life is dedicated to serving you. He tells God, like, this child is going to be for you. So this is all happening. And we have a second character in the story. And again, you're going to hear this all on Rosh Hashanah Day. There's a second character in the story, and that's Eli, the high priest. Okay, now understand the high priest. So we're talking a very, a, a very spiritually elevated person is watching this whole scene. And he's watching this woman, Hannah, and her mode of prayer. And she's basically kind of praying hysterically. Okay, she is just, uh, she's going like she is uh, her, uh, what, what, what's the word? Her, um, her demeanor, like everything that she's doing looks a little nuts to him. Like something is wrong here. He accuses her of being drunk. And Hannah tells him off. Like, no, 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 no. And she quite respectfully, but she says no. And she describes how she's really 
has a bitter soul and she describes the bitterness of her soul and that she's pouring out before God. And so Ellie actually, once she explains and actually should read exactly what happens, I will in a second. Okay. He actually blesses her. So meaning, I guess he understood something as we will soon see. And he blesses her. And a year later, of course, within the year, she had a child and that child was Samuel Shmuel, the prophet, one of the greatest prophets of all times. And of course, Shmuel was the prophet to, to coronate King David. Okay. So we're talking about a very special person. So now we have so many questions on this story, right? Because, uh, well, I, we, let us, let's just talk about the questions, but really a lot of questions specifically on the story itself and also on the choice of the story, like why this story on Rosh Hashanah specifically, right? We could think of maybe other stories that could have been chosen. Why is this the story that's chosen for Rosh Hashanah? So first of all, regarding the story itself, I said that he mistook Hannah for for being drunk in the tabernacle and the Mishkan. And that's a really grave accusation because if that were actually true, he actually had to kick her out. Like you don't know how to do that. Um, so it's a pretty strong accusation. And second of all, like I said before, we're not talking about a simple person here. We're not talking, uh, and we're talking about a spiritually, we're talking about the high priest, a spiritually refined and wise man that was, who was dedicated to the service of Hashem. So how could he just make such a crass mistake, right? Like, it's just, you know, like, was he not sensitive enough to spirituality and to matters of a person's soul to know what Hannah was actually doing in the tabernacle? Right. And, and you can see here that, let me just tell you inside, like Hannah was, I'm reading directly from the text. Hannah was speaking in her heart. Only her lips were moving, right? Something that we do today in prayer. And her voice was not heard, right? Something we do. And Ellie thought her to be a drunken woman. And Ellie said to her, until when will you be drunk? Throw off your wine from upon yourself. And Hannah answered and said, no, my Lord, I am a woman of sorrowful spirit and neither new wine nor old wine have I drunk. And I poured out my soul before God. And Ellie apologizes and blesses her. Okay, fine. So fine. Up to here, we, 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 we see that, you know, we understand the obvious question. But then there's another question, right? And that's the one about what she asked for. Like, uh, it's a little chutzpah, don't you think? It's like, if somebody, if you haven't had something for 19 years, whatever you give me, I'm just grateful, right? <laughs> like, seriously, like to make conditions, like it has to be this great, like to the extent that the Talmud actually says that Hannah asked for a child as great as Aaron and Moshe combined. So this was some great chutzpah in a way. And then we can also think about the fact that, okay, fine. So the Talmud talks about her great chutzpah and perhaps maybe they, they appreciated that, but they appreciate it to, they appreciate this whole story to the extent that they derived the laws of prayer for generations till today. Right. And I just alluded to some of them, right. Specifically from Hannah's prayer. Right. And we know that from her, from her prayer, we learn that we, that we move, we speak silently, but audit, like enough that we can hear ourselves, our lips have to be moving. Right. And we learn a bunch of other things that I, maybe I'll mention in a minute. Okay. Right. So we have that. And then on a more general, um, 
on a more general form, we can ask the question that I alluded to before. It's like, why in the world are, do we read the story on Rosh Hashanah when we're crowning the king of the world, when we're accepting God's sovereignty? Maybe perhaps it would have been more fit, fitting to, I don't know, to read about men of great humility and stature. Not that, I mean, I mean, it's great that we're reading about women because we're also reading about Sarah, by the way, in the Torah, the Torah reading is about Sarah, who was barren. And then the half Torah is about Hannah, who's barren. But we're focusing on this story specifically of Hannah right now. Okay. But yeah, we could say, okay, what about Moses? What about David? Right. <laughs> right. So, so what is going on here? So now let's start to answer the questions. So we have to understand that Hannah, yes, she wasn't drunk, right? Just like she said, she wasn't drunk. And that Ellie, even though it says the words drunk, Ellie didn't actually think she was literally drunk either. He did make a mistake, but that's not the mistake. The mistake isn't that he thought she was drunk. The mistake is on the implication. What does that mean? What was the error here? So Ellie erred in thinking that Hannah's exuberance, her, her, her display of unconstrained emotions, right, was completely out of line, was completely inappropriate when you're in front of the king, when you're in front of God, right? So he's saying you're intoxicated, right? Not, not because she was intoxicated with alcohol, but you're intoxicated with your own needs and your own worldly desires. And that's just not the way we come to this place. That's not the way we talk to the king. That's not the way we do it. And so he's asking her, like, how long are you going to stay in this like self-absorption, right? So intoxicated by your own needs and your own desires that this is what you have to have, what you're asking God, right? You're totally absorbed. You're totally drunk with your own wants. That's not the right way. That's, that's how he viewed it, right? Because he's coming at it from the perspective that, wait, prayer is really a spiritual experience. It's really meant to give you that spiritual perspective. It's meant to elevate you from the mundane, right? It's meant to give you that spiritual perspective in which you rise above your physical desires and needs. It's in order to appreciate the goodness of God, in order to see things from a higher plane where you see, oh, how everything that the king does for you is good. And that's where he's coming from. And that's where she corrects him. And that's the great lesson that we have here. Hannah says, no, 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 no. You, you've got it all wrong. I'm, I'm talking to the king, but the king is also my father. That's the level of relationship. And because of that relationship, I'm, I'm asking not for what I need for, my, for myself, but really what he needs me to fulfill my mission in this world. In other words, we're not coming at this we're asking the king to give me, but the emphasis, it's not on the me. And we could say during the year, perhaps it's on the me, right? We're coming at this from a, bit, a more self-centered place where, yeah, I, I want these things, right? But here the Reb is saying emphasis is on the give, on the king who can give, right? He can give from his generous hand. And I can ask because he needs me to have these things. He's willing to give them to me because that's how I make him a dwelling place in this world. That's how I fulfilled the mission for which he put me here. 
So my physical wants and needs, and this is how it's starting to apply to us and the, how we need to approach the day that we're coming up to, right? That my physical wants and needs are not separate from my spiritual ones. And he, God Almighty, as a loving parent who intimately relates to me, he yearns to hear all about them. Like we have that level of a relation, that level of a, that of a relationship. And because Hannah understood the depth of the relationship that one has with his father, the king, with our father, our king, I should say, she could not only beg and plead and pour her entire soul out, right? And again, it's coming from the soul, from that soul essential level, right? She says, I'm pouring my soul out to God. My soul only wants what God wants, right? My soul is here to fulfill a mission. So it's not about self-centeredness. It's about what the soul needs here, right? And because she's at that level of understanding of the relationship, she can beg and she can plead for something completely material, completely physical, right? In this case, a child, right? In this case, motherhood, right? And it could be the health or it could be the wealth, right? But not only that, she could make demands, right? She could even go to that extent because again, this is for the mission. And ultimately, that's what Ellie understands. That's the shift that happens. That dialogue creates that shift where Ellie understands so much more about prayer and the sages in the Talmud so much so that, like I said before, they derive the laws of prayer from this, from Hannah, from this woman. And actually there's after Hannah gives birth to the child and she goes after three years, she goes and she gives the child to Ellie to raise that he should be, she, she should be trained in the Mish, Mishkan in the service of God in the tabernacle. She composes a, a, a poem of gratitude, right? And of, um, what do you call, and of praise to, to God. And it has 113 words. And the sages, actually, the words of Shimon Esra, it's 113 words based on that, okay? But we learned, like I said, we learned that prayer is a quiet act. We learned, you know, that it's only audible to you, to you and the king, right? Because you're standing in front of the king, that it, prayer is about pouring out your soul. Of course, that crying, helps can help a lot that you can make deals with the king your father and that actually like if you beg hard enough if you cry and pray hard enough he might even break the laws of nature for you which is exactly what he did for Hannah remember I mentioned like according to nature she was a barren woman right um so and it as a side note I will say that this these ideas right of crying and admitting you know helplessness and expressing your inner self and your deepest needs and wants and desires are not very masculine. <laughs> They're very feminine in a way. Men have a pretty hard time. And, and I don't know how many of you know this from experience, but men have a pretty hard time with all of these. And, you know, <laughs> the joke is like, even when they are drunk, right? <laughs> but, but, but the sages were so enamored by this kind of like this feminine archetype, this, this, this feminine um, mode of prayer that, like I said, they established the laws of prayer based on that. And like, like I mentioned, the Amidadish monastery has 113 words based on her, her praise to Hashem. So the current guidelines of prayer, which by the way, apply really, I mean, 
apply to us, but really it's something that men are obligated on, right? They were put in place fundamentally, fundamentally to teach the men how to pray like a woman, right? So this woman, Hannah, going back to Hannah, she really teaches us all how to pray and not just every day, right? But particularly how to pray on this great judgment day on Rosh Hashanah, which is what the Reb is stressing here, that Rosh Hashanah presents a paradox, a contradiction, like we said at the beginning, that I'm nullified before the king. And so like Ellie thought, like you just this is, you don't come on the day of coronation and just like ask me, 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 right? So on the one hand, yes, Rosh Hashanah is this day when we coronate God as the king. And this entails a complete nullification of our needs and desires to the will of the king. But on the other hand, Rosh Hashanah, our prayers in Rosh Hashanah are also, like I said, full of requests for our personal needs, right? And like I said before, it's the day that God decides not on what kind of spiritual reward we're going to get in the next world, but rather what we're going to get now this coming year in this material physical world, right? So Hannah comes and solves this entire paradox for us because she teaches us that our requests for personal needs are not self-centered, that they actually come from the depths of our soul. Yes. On, yes. On a conscious level, you might think, oh, well, I'm so crass, right? But the Reva's coming here to say, no, 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 no. No, because subconsciously, because deep down inside, and again, if you start seeing yourself, I am a soul with a body. I'm not just a body with a soul, right? Right. You have to understand that your soul desires to make this world into a godly place. And maybe you don't, you on a conscious level, you're not even there yet. You're not there. You really just like the physical things, right? They're saying, no, no, but understand that even if you're at that level, which most of us are, if we're honest, right? Like, hello, like how much do we actually think about God, right? We think about our needs, like what we want, right? Even understand, the Rebbe says, even understand that it's from your soul because your soul has a mission because your soul wants to transform this world, wants to make a home for God in the world. That's why it's here, right? And so those requests from your, for your personal needs are not self-centered, but they are actually like that expression of your subservience to the king, to God. It's your commitment to the mission of revealing him in this world. Because by the way, what is it worth to crown a king if you don't go and serve the king, right? It's not enough to crown the king. We have to actually tell the world about the king, show the world about the king, right? We have to be at the service of the king throughout the year, right? And so when we're asking for the things, we're saying, no, I'm, I'm committed to the mission of revealing you in the world. That's, that's why I'm crowning you. That's why I'm crowning you, because I'm going to serve you, because I'm going to reveal you to the world. And in order to do that, we do need all these things. We do need our healthy bodies, and we do need our material possessions, and we need the healthy children and the healthy relationships and all the things, all more, right? We need them to transform our own little corner of the world into a home for God. And that's what we're here for. So when we're praying for all those things, ladies, we're really like soldiers who are requesting food and water and shelter, not for themselves, but really to succeed at the mission, right? To be victorious. That's it. And so when we come to Rosh Hashanah, when we come, it's, it's really now, Sunday night, Monday, when we come to Rosh Hashanah, we have to pray. 
we have to pray. Pray and pray for, for, for all our heart's desires. No limits. We don't put limits like Rabbi Sibon Jacobson said on the podcast this week. We don't put limits on the king. We don't put limits on the creator. The, the, he has plenty to go around. We don't limit him, right? We have to come, like, we have to understand Hannah's lesson that we can and we should pray for our, all our physical desires because they're to advance the mission. And he wants us to advance the mission. Therefore, it's, therefore, therefore he's going to give us. We have to trust that he will give us. That's also why Rosh Hashanah is a festive day, right? Yes, it's on the one hand, it's a day of, of judgment, right? And, and fear and awe. On the other hand, it's also celebratory and it's festive and we eat beautiful, wonderful food and we wear fancy clothes, right? Because we trust that the king, our father, is going to bless us. He's going to give us everything that we desire. He can grant everything, right? So my blessing to all of us is that we may be sealed and inscribed, signed and sealed in the book of life for a sweet and healthy and happy new year with physical abundance beyond our heart's desires, beyond our heart's desires. And please just pray, pray, pray. Don't limit yourselves. I think last year I sent out an email that said, you know, kind of like, I can't remember. I have to look it up again and maybe I'll resend it, but it was something like pray big or something, go big or go home or whatever. But that's the lesson. I hope that solved sort of the paradox or the contradiction for all of us and put us in the mode of coming into Rosh Hashanah with that right perspective, that frame of mind that we're here to crown our king, to surrender to his sovereignty, but that because we're doing that, it really means that we're committing to that mission, right? It really means that we're committing to that mission. And if we are, then that means that we need all these things. And because we are doing that mission, that we are going to request for them. Because again, who else could give them to us, right? Only the king can give them to us. So let's talk to him. That's what we're going to do. All right. Hey, ladies, I hope you enjoyed this mini-sode. Please leave a review on iTunes. I hope this was uplifting, inspiring, refreshing, and that you have an amazing day.